The first reading is from 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master, because by him the Lord had, the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Aramans, on one of their raids, had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger, messenger to him, saying, Go wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away, saying, I thought, that for, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Falpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in a rage. But his, but his servants approached and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was, wash and be clean? So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. He came and stood before him and said, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Holy wisdom, holy word. The second reading is from 2 Timothy chapter 2. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David. That is my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, so that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is sure, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of this and warn them before God that they are to avoid wrangling over words, which does no good but only ruins those who are listening. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by him, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly explaining the word of truth. Holy wisdom, holy word. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 17th chapter. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. 
when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean, but the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. The Gospel of the Lord. It isn't hard to ferret out the reason why our first reading and our gospel reading are linked together. Indeed, they are yoked together like stolid workhorses, trudging around through the circle of the calendar, coming around in the lectionary once every three years like old friends, requiring us to once again Look at the nature of healing. They are an interesting contrast, in some ways so similar and in other ways so different. On the one hand, we have a powerful and influential man used to being in front of others, used to having his commands followed On the other hand, we have one who is cast off, one who is exiled from civilization out to the edge, considered unclean, untouchable. And yet the one thing that they share is a common disease and a common need for healing. In the case of Naaman, he responds to this need in the same way he responds to everything else in his line of work. He prepares a campaign. He gathers his troops, his horses, and his chariots. He gathers around his allies, (coughs) in this case, his own king, who writes to the king of Israel saying, do me a favor and heal this guy. Israel and Aram had been at war. And so it's not hard to understand why it is that the leader of Israel might tear his clothes in fear and frustration at this request, a request that he knows he cannot meet. And so what could this be other than a pretext for war? But Elisha intervenes and says, send him to me. 
And so Naaman shows up at Elisha's door with all of his horses, all of his chariots, with all of his wealth, prepared to strike a bargain. And although the details may not quite be the same, the motivation and the action perhaps are. Because isn't this what we do when we are suddenly faced with a need for healing? Are we not likely to start working up some kind of bargain with God? All of a sudden, our prayers increase. All of a sudden, we start thinking, what is the best way to pray? Should I be on my knees? Should I have my arms out? Am I being humble enough in my prayers? Am I being sincere enough when I pray? We promise that we will be more faithful. We promise that we will draw closer to God. We promise that we will increase our giving. Oh Lord, if only. There's something very deep in us that drives us to try to strike those kinds of bargain. It's the same thing that is behind the, uh, the cult of sacrifice that we find in so many societies. The idea being that if we can offer just the right sacrifice, we can expect the right return. I suppose it's a way in trying to control what seems to be an uncontrollable environment. We try to bend God to our desire. And perhaps that is what this other leper is up to as well. Although certainly he comes before Jesus in a very different way from Naaman. He has no troops to gather. He has no wealth to offer. He has no allies to intercede for him. And far from presenting himself at Jesus' door, he cries out from afar. And yet the plea is the same. Heal me. Perhaps he also wonders if his cry sounds pitiful enough, if it sounds honest and sincere enough, or maybe it is just nothing more than desperation. When Nahum when Naaman shows up at Elisha's door, we're told that he expects that Elisha will render to him his due respect. After all, when a foreign dignitary shows up on one's doorstep, there are procedures, there are ways to handle these things. And yet Elisha won't even come outside. Instead, he sends, sends a servant to crack the door open and say, go wash in the river. Bye. And Naaman, we are told, is outraged. He's outraged because the rules aren't being followed. He's outraged that all of his plans have been rendered useless. He's outraged 
at the disrespect shown. Now again, the other leper also seems to be dismissed with a minimum of fanfare. Jesus does not engage him in conversation. He doesn't explore the mysteries of faith or or God's love. He simply says, go show yourself to the priest. Bye. And they are dismissed. It's interesting that in the story of Naaman, there are so many places where it can go off the rails. At the very start, it begins with a note of despair. Until this servant girl, until this girl enslaved from Israel in a military raid shows a bit of kindness toward her masters. If only you were in Israel, there's a prophet there who could heal you. And then again, when Naaman is here, outraged at what Elisha has done, threatening to stomp off and take his ball and bat and go home, once again it is the small voice of one of his servants who speaks sense to him. Father, he says, Father, this doesn't make sense. Wouldn't you do something if it was hard? Wouldn't you, you conquer an enemy? Wouldn't you uproot a tree? Wouldn't you build a city if it would cure you of your leprosy? Why not try doing this one simple thing? and go wash in the river. Naaman does, and he is healed. This other leper does, and finds that he is healed. And both of them return to the source of their healing. Another thing similar in these two stories is that both Naaman and this, what shall we call him, 10th leper, are foreigners. Naaman, foreigner by birth and by violence. This other leper, a foreigner in his own land, considered a half-blood, impure, untouchable. In the case of Naaman, he comes back to Elisha, a changed man. Perhaps there is a cost to this bargain after all, only not what Naaman thought it would be. He comes back a different man at the end of the story than he was in the beginning. He comes back humbled. And in the conversation between between he and Elisha, there is a newfound sense of intimacy as of two people who know a great secret.
Naaman now brings his gifts not as a bargaining chip, but as a gift of thanksgiving. Not in order to bend Elisha to his will and get what he wants, but in response to the gift already given. Only Elisha will not take it. He will not touch one bit of it because to do so would obscure what had happened here would obscure the true nature of this healing, which is that it is a gift. It is grace. And that cannot be bought. Indeed, throughout Scripture, healing is always something that cannot be purchased but rather can only be received. No wonder that so many times when a healing occurs, the person is different afterward than they were before. Because suddenly they realize they come into the presence of something greater than themselves. And they have received the gift of something they could not do for themselves. When Elisha refuses to receive these gifts from Naaman, Naaman makes a strange request of Elisha, which we don't get to hear in this morning's reading, but comes right after the end. He says, then may I have some dirt to take home with me. Naaman understands that he needs to leave, but he wants to stay. He wants to stay in the presence of the God who has healed him, but he has to return to his homeland. And so he takes a bit of this land with him. Holy land, movable, holy space that he can bring back and on that dirt worship the one true God. Likewise, this other leper returns to Jesus, although perhaps for a slightly different reason. Because of those ten lepers, he was the foreigner. Whereas the other nine could hope to go to the priest, be proclaimed clean, and be restored to their community, those were not his priests. And so he comes back to the only priest that he knows, the only one who can intercede with this God. He comes back to the feet of Jesus and discovers holy ground there. Again and again in the face of healing, those who are healed want to follow Jesus. They want to remain with Jesus. They want to find their own holy ground there And yet they are told to take that holy ground and to go back home. To take it with them. Healing is something that I sometimes get nervous about preaching on. Because who of us doesn't want to strike bargains for healing? 
who among us doesn't want to find that key that will allow us to find the healing we so desperately need? And yet, if I'm honest with myself, I have to say I have not seen miraculous healings. I have seen some unexpected things. I have seen people find wholeness in a way with their disease that they couldn't find without it. But I very seldom see miraculous healings. And yet the same word comes to me that comes to Naaman to go and wash in the water. And I take the need that I have for healing to the baptismal water. And there I, we are washed. And we get drawn into the great cosmic story of healing that is the story of Scripture from beginning to end. It is God bringing healing to all of creation, moving us inexorably toward that great Sabbath, that great shalom that is wholeness and peace and health and strength. And through that water, we are grafted into that story. And though we may not even know the exact nature of that which is our disease, that which makes us uneasy, we do know what it is to want to be whole. We do know what it is to want to be healed. And so together, we make our way back toward the one who has given us a taste of healing. We seek out holy ground here and one day at the feet of our Lord in person together with all those other saints who have sought that ground with us. Amen.